So what I'd like to do is just spend a, a couple minutes reviewing main concepts from last week, because I know, you know some of you are here that weren't here a week ago, uh, and then we want to keep moving from there. One of the things I failed to mention last week, and I think it's really important, uh, when George and I were meeting and talking about the class, it was important to us that, uh, that we clarified that this is not an opportunity uh, just to complain about church or to bash the church. George and I both love the church. Uh, and so talking about how our church of origin might have influenced us as adults uh, is no more about bashing the church than talking about how your families influence you would be about bashing your families. You know, the, our purpose is to recognize generational patterns, how those patterns have probably both benefited uh, us and caused challenges for us. We started last week with uh, some concepts from Murray Bowen, uh, Middle Tennessean, uh, important voice in my field, which is the field of marriage and family therapy. Uh, Bowen uh, went on uh, from, from Waverly, Tennessee, he went on to uh, do many great things uh, with the National Institute of Mental Health, uh, eventually spent his later years at Georgetown, where even today you can go and study at the Bowen Center uh, at Georgetown University. But Bowen is best known for these eight concepts that help us to understand uh, the ways in which families influence individual development. And we talked just about three of them uh, very briefly uh, last week. I mentioned differentiation of self, which is internally the ability to differentiate between my thoughts and my emotions. Externally, it's the ability to differentiate between myself and others. So I know where I stop and you start. And that is not something that we develop in order to stay out of relationship with people. It's actually something we develop to be in a functioning relationship with others so that I can have a consistent sense of who I am, no matter who I happen to be in relationship with. So we talked briefly about that, and we will come back to these more as the, as the semester progresses. We also talked about his fourth concept, which is the family projection process, which is essentially the idea that there are expectations within the family. There are rules that guide our behavior. Some of those are overt and spoken. Some of those are covert, and yet they're still very powerful. Uh, and then those rules are then projected uh, from uh, an adult subsystem to a child subsystem, uh, from grandparents to parents, parents to children, and then as that continues from generation to generation to generation, that's what Bowen describes as the multi-generational transmission process. And uh, one of the things that we were, I think, really clear on last week, I hope this was clear, is that that multi-generational transmission process can go one of two ways. That the level of differentiation in a family system can drop over time, but it can also course correct from time to time. 
Uh, and if I didn't believe that, if I didn't believe that we could take what we got from our family system, and if those things weren't uh, helpful to us, that we could take that, have insight into that, challenge that, improve upon it, you know, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing uh, professionally. And so uh, there's some really good news here, some really encouraging news. There's no way for us to not be influenced by prior generations. But in some cases, we may be influenced to repeat patterns, and in other cases, we may be influenced to do something different. Right? So we, we can't deny the power of the influence of previous generations, but we can choose how we respond to that. The other thing that we said last week is that we're going to use a couple of different uh, categories for how we've been influenced by previous generations. One of those is the rules that those things, those expectations that we've learned that guide our behavior. And the other is roles and relationships. How the roles that we play, how we relate to others. You know, we get our first lesson in that as children. We continue to learn that in our systems. And, uh, you know, it affects uh, eventually our adult relationships. So, that brings us up to speed a little bit. Today we're going to start unpacking... Uh, the idea of rules. Now remember I said last week, rules could be both overt and covert. And both can be really powerful. So just because it wasn't said directly to you growing up, it doesn't mean that it wasn't a rule. And there are examples like this, not just in family systems, but in in all sorts of systems. It's true in churches, it's true in corporations, it's true in educational settings, it's true in athletics. When uh, I first came to Lipscomb, uh, my first job at Lipscomb in 2001 was I was the director of assessment, which is not a thing that kids grow up dreaming of being. <laughs> Astronaut, right, firefighter, give people the ACT, right? Like one of those is not quite as exciting as, as the other. Um, but uh, one of the assessments that uh, in the early days I used to administer, I administer the NCAA coaching exam to all of our coaches on campus at Lipscomb. Every year they'd have to recertify that they knew the NCAA rules about recruiting you know, and, and running a, a compliant program. And it was open book. And so I, I saw the book that those coaches would bring in. It was, it was a thick book. Lots of rules, as you might imagine, that the NCAA has put in place. Those are overt rules. They're written down. They're codified somewhere. Right? In theory, they're available to everyone and there's not mystery around them because they're there in black and white. And those are just the rules about recruiting to your sport. That's not the rules about how your actual sport works, right? Like, 
you could go out and you could get the official rule book for Major League Baseball, right? And there would be all sorts of rules about how runners can advance, right? And what's a ball and what's a strike and all sorts of overt, spoken, clear rules. But if you know anything about baseball, there's covert rules as well. Like, it's not written down anywhere in the Major League Baseball Guide that you shouldn't stand and admire your home run after you But you better believe that's a rule. And if you don't think it is, violate that rule and then see what happens the next time you get up to bat. Right? You're liable to get thrown at. Right? It's a powerful rule. Everyone seems to know the rule. But it's covert. It's not specifically stated. And, and so the same thing is true uh, in, in family systems. One example that's very much in the news right now uh, is um, Harry and Meghan. Harry and Meghan, uh, in, in the new book that, that Harry has published called uh, Spare, he talks about this rule of the royal family, never complain, never explain. That's a very important rule, and it's one that, according to him, is regularly cited, right? Now, he would also say it's not always consistently followed, but it's regularly cited. It's regularly emphasized. And so this is just one example of the kind of rule that you might learn growing up in your family system. And I want to add to the idea of rules. I didn't mention this last week. But I want to add to it we have rules but then we also have rituals. And rituals would be when, when certain rules are acted out in a predictable way, over and over and over again. Uh, I grew up in a family where never once in my childhood was there a discussion on Saturday night about what we were doing the next morning. <clears throat> never one time, right? It would have been foolish to ask. Does anybody have any plans for Sunday morning? Right? That, there was a rule about what happened in my family on Sunday morning. That's the rule. The ritual then would be kind of that repeated predictable acting out every Sunday morning, right? This is how it goes. This is how we get ready. This is how we show up to, to church, right? Uh, for, you know, there's rituals around meals, right? There's ritual, uh, rituals around where certain people in a family sit, right? Uh, whether it's at a meal time or certain seats that are off limits to some family members in, in the living room. The rituals are those kind of predictable, repeated acting out of the rules. Now, not, not all rules have a ritual attached to them. But every ritual that exists is informed by some sort of rule, right? There's a relationship between the rules uh, and, the, uh, and the rituals. Uh, so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to give you a minute. We are going to 
you know, move toward taking this idea of rules and grounding it in a church context. But be before we do that, I want you just to think about it in your own family of origin context. Take a minute or two and think about what were some of the family rules and, and or the rituals that you grew up with, whether they were overt, spoken, written down, put on the fridge, right? Or whether they were covert rules that no one ever said but we all knew. What are some of those rules that you experienced uh, growing up in your family? Um, We can't create an exhaustive list, but I'd love to hear some examples. If there's anybody that's willing to, to share, what rule comes to mind for you as you think about your family experience? Yeah, this was a pro I, I didn't think this would be the one that popped up, but yes. the one that popped up in my head was my father had a rule that we did not call people stupid. Ooh. We never used that okay. word to describe people, and that was an overt rule. Okay, there were off-limits words. I, we had a, we, we actually had a similar rule for our own children, Brian. Um, and my daughter <clears throat> would. Uh, she made up a word. <laughs> she made up the word stukit. <laughs> and we would, when we would challenge her on that, she would say, I didn't say stupid. I said stukit. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how legalism works, right? I learned the word euphemism very early on. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, great example, thanks. Yeah. Um, in my family, this was a cover rule. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't talk about anything bad that was happening. Okay. No talking about bad stuff. Uh, as soon as the friend got cancer or whatever, it just wasn't spoken about. Wow, yeah, yeah. Strong, strong rule. But did you say it was a covert one? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so nobody said. You stop talking about that, but somehow we all knew. Yeah. Great example. Yes. Yeah. Never talk about sex. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not necessarily bad stuff, so I'm going to put it separately. Uh, no, no. Did you say you couldn't even say the word? I couldn't even say the word. Did you? You had to take it down in volume. I said say the word. No, not at all. Not at all. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, Phil, and then I'll go back. Whoever cooked did not have to do the dishes. Yeah. Whoever did the shopping did not have to put away the groceries. Okay. So there's 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 these rules about division of labor. I did this thing, so I don't have to do that thing. Okay. Family Well, we all know how someone got in a family way. <laughs> <laughs> and we're 
We're not talking about that either. We should, so. we should be guessing what the origin would be. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, yes. Uh, clean your plate. Clean your plate. Meaning, now do you mean in the dishes or you mean finish and eat everything? Finish eating. If you didn't, you heard, you let your eyes overload your stomach, didn't you? And, and adding that, you didn't get dessert. So, but that was a covert rule. So yeah. that's, that's, that's clear. Okay. I think it was covert. So, so clean your plate. Uh, if you don't finish it, maybe the items are con So this is an important point. There are consequences to breaking rules. Sometimes those consequences are clear and predictable. So, so if I know I don't finish this, I don't get dessert. It's consistent. It's clear. Um, you know, sometimes consequences are, are not consistently applied. You know, we kind of have to guess at what they might be. Uh, so that's, that's an important point. Yeah. This was a covert rule that I had two sides of my family. One was one political party, and the other was another political party. And there was an unspoken rule that if you were in either family, you were that party. And so my family had that division. And they took a side. Yeah. <laughs> So political chameleons. Poli yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. If my dad was working like around the house, we better be working. All right. If if dad is working, everybody's working. Everybody's working. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Yeah. And you knew it. Okay. Yeah. And you. Dad, come sit, have, take a rest, Dad, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I got one, I think there's both. Okay. I grew up in a small town in Kentucky. Yeah. And my father was my high school principal and also an elder in the church. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. You could do anything. You would have a field day with me. Um, I, before any Friday night, Saturday night, going out on the town, yeah. the last words out of their mouth was, remember what your last name is. Oh. Yeah, so I always had that in the back of my head, regardless of whether it was covert or overt. Well, so it, it, you're right. You're exactly right. It is both because there's this spoken part, right? But what does it mean that this is your name? May not be fully explained, but you had a pretty good idea. It meant some things not to do. Yeah, there was a list of things you you ought not be doing, probably. Yeah. So it's. it's of both this one about drinking alcohol okay it was um it was implied that if people who drank in my family it's this is horrible i'm embarrassed it's um if you were a little lower class uh-huh uh-huh uh -huh. you were and this is funny because it's obviously the opposite in the world right um but you were you were a little less um moral and Right. 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 Which yeah. is implied and brainwashed. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I've even met people that are that believe that you know Jesus did not turn water into wine; he turned it into grape juice. Right. And right. And it, it's just this right. whole brainwashing of you can't drink, and it's like overt and covert. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so there. Okay. This brings up something I think that's important to say. Is. There are the rules that are on the board, and then there's what's underneath the rules, right? So, you know, there are, there are uh, issues of beliefs about morality and values that underlie uh, the rules on the board. 
there's issues of uh, culture, gender, right? Um, some of these rules, there's, there, there are, we, we got messages about this is what men do, this is what women do. There's issues of, um, uh, like I said, culture is, can, is a big part of this, hierarchy and power, right? Um, who, who has power, who doesn't have power. A lot, there's a lot underneath the rules of, of our family of, of origin. Um, I was doing an, act, an activity like this with a group of undergraduates. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I have, I have something different, and I'm going to yeah, put this out there, and I yeah. don't know if anyone else is happy with that. Um, due to many different things, there were no rules in my house. There were no rules and no covert or open. No, so, well, no rules could be the rule. No, well, <laughs> basically my parents, my, my grandparents on one side, um, their whole family died in the war mm -hmm. and the Holocaust and all that kind of stuff. And my other side, my father's side of the family, he, his father died when he was 12, so there was no father in the house. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother was deaf and, and kind of had a disability. So his house, they had no rules. So mm -hmm. when I grew up, my brother and I both were very like, and we did, I didn't grow up, there was no, my father was a church organist. Mm -hmm. And that's the only reason we went to church. Yeah. It, we weren't a religious family. But we both turned out great. Yes. And it was like, <laughs> she does say so herself. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, we didn't go crazy. That's what I'm saying. But, but um, there are issues. I have some issues with anxiety and, uh -huh. and feeling insecure and wondering if that could have something to do with why. Nothing was ever, you didn't know what was going to happen next. Yes. It was very, very chaotic. Yes. My yes. And so, and yes. it wasn't like they didn't do anything like bad or anything. Yes. There just was no, you didn't know what was going to happen. Yes. You didn't know who was going to come over, if anyone. You didn't know where lunch, you know, it wasn't like you always had lunch at this time. Or, and so it was very, um, there were no rules and, and over to COVID. So I'm yeah. wondering if very. that sort of laissez-faire, chaos, I think, is the chaos. word you use. Chaos is sort of the, yeah, yeah. Not uh, like mean chaos. Right. Or like beating each other. I mean, nothing. It was just everyone just kind of did what they wanted. And I, I, I'm thinking, at first, I didn't really know why, but we were talking, like, maybe it was their background. So yes. Yeah, yeah, so it absolutely. It's interesting you said that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to share uh, rules that I grew up Yeah, please. From my... Ethnicity and race. Yes. My mother was a domestic worker. My father was a teamster truck driver. And my mother worked in Bellevue. And the rule was when you address the people that she worked for, you call him Mr. or him Mrs. Yes. So I go to HBCU, Tennessee State University. And so I pick up the phone and call my mom and says, I want to speak to Mrs. Hunter. And the, the lady of the house says, you want to speak to who? I want to speak to Mrs. Hunter, my mother. You mean Francis? I said, no, Mrs. Hunter. So a week after that, I get a plaque from the lady of the house. And the plaque says, men can change their lives by changing their attitudes. So I wasn't supposed to address my mother as Mrs. Another rule that we you had. You broke the rule. I broke the rule. Yes. I called yeah. my mother Mrs. Yes. Another rule I had in growing up, every Saturday, we used to 
go downtown Nashville to shop. We had to take a bath, clean up, and we couldn't get out of the car. My mother would go into the store, and we had to say, Mr. and Mrs., or yes sir, yes ma'am, to the clerks, and most of them were Caucasian. So there were different rules for my ethnicity. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and thank God a lot of those rules have diminished and become less. Yeah. Uh, and which is good. And yeah. this church is representative of that right. those rules have yeah. diminished. Because I can remember my dad, Brother Keeble, Brother Gray, uh, going to a church, a white church. Mm -hmm. And they would talk about integration. This was in the sixties. And one of the elders at the white church says, if the Negroes want to start something, he pulled out a 38 and put it on the desk. We're ready for it. So this this was in the, the 60s. So there were a lot of rules that governed my life. Yes. It was like a maze that we had to that out my dad said, he used to tell him, don't do this, don't do that. You get pulled up police, don't talk back. Yes. Yeah. Put your hands on, you know, we had rules that we lived by. Right. We, because it meant life or death to us. Yes. Yes. So I want to share that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Richard, for and, and sharing that. Yeah. Not. This is not anywhere to the to the level of what he's talking about, but he, it triggered in my mind his his description of going to the store. If I went with my father, those are the rules. Y'all stay back. Mm -hmm. You you treat you Mr. Mrs. Whatever. Mm -hmm. If I went with my mom, we were just right there with it. Mm -hmm. Right. It was mm -hmm. it was much more of a communal thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So there was different rules depending on the presence of different right. authority figures. Diff, diff, yeah, that's extremely well said, and probably something we're going to come back around to in our discussion this semester right. about mm -hmm. church rules. Different rules attached to different authority figures. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. This is really this is great feedback. Thank you. Uh, one of the things that I'll I'll share with you coming up uh, maybe a week from now or so uh, is I reached out to a, a network of people and asked them about their church rules growing up, and they sent back quite a few interesting responses. And I'll share some of those, like I said, at a later date. But in that, in that context, one of the respondents, he sent me some of his rules, but he also said this, and, and I, I thought this was right on, uh, and this leads into uh, uh, what George is going to set up for us here in a moment. I believe we seek rules out of good intentions. We have questions. We want clarity and certainty about what to do. In other words, rules function in some ways, right? Not knowing feels uncomfortable. Certainty is a God. However, the faith in rules often becomes more powerful than the faith in Jesus. That is, without knowing it, uh, I think he was describing very much what's going on in Galatians. You know, is that, are we, where are we putting our faith? Are we putting our faith in rules? Are we putting our faith in Jesus, and George is going to come and uh, lead us in some thoughts about that. So. Thank you. Yeah. Um, there was a phonograph needle scratch when I was born, but it didn't affect me much. Affect me much. <laughs> 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 <My thought. laughs> 
Bro, boots. It might be a certain age, I guess, to get that. Yeah, it's a little, you know, I'm a little cautious about trying to investigate this because I, I tend to think I just read the Bible and believe it or do it or whatever. But does, does how does our background influence that is, a, is an interesting question and not one that biblical scholars tend to think about very much. So I'm really interested in this cross-discipline investigation yeah. and to read the text with maybe a different set of questions in mind. Uh, so I picked out a few verses from Galatians that just kind of set this up. Um, so Paul starts off talking about his own background, and it's interesting to think about Paul's family of origin, so to speak, and how it affected him and then how he moved on beyond that. Uh, so he persecuted the church of God, tried to destroy it. He advanced in Judaism beyond many of his own age. Among his people was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. So we see that he's a product of his own family of origin and his own culture and his own history. It was very much embedded in him a certain way of doing things. And the book of Galatians, Paul is, is addressing some people that mainly came from a Gentile background, but there were some Jewish teachers that were saying, you need to keep the same rules that, that we grew up keeping. And Paul is strongly resistant to that and said, that's a different gospel. That's not even the gospel anymore if you're adding these rules on to faith in Jesus. And so the thing that came to me as I was reading with these sets of questions is how did Paul... How did Paul get to that point where he could say the rules I was raised with don't should not be added in this situation? And he had to have a strong sense of differentiation yeah. is, is what I thought about. Um, but, but there were a group of people that very strongly, and we call them the Judaizers, um, believed the, the way to follow Jesus. Uh, and they're Christians, I think. Christian Judaizers, uh, yes, Jesus, but also circumcision, <coughs> the Sabbath, keep the food laws, um, because they were for so long part of what it meant to be the family of God was to keep these rules. How how can we change that? Mm -hmm. uh, and when we say Judaizers, I think there were even some that were were Gentile background that agreed with that. And, and became part of that. But there's a lot of pressure on these new Christians to add certain traditional rules yeah. to their faith. Yeah. yeah. You want to say anything on that? Um, no, I mean, I think that's, that's exactly right. I, I'm fascinated. One thing I did not know was that there may have been Gentile Judaizers. That's fascinating to me, like, yeah. how that might be appealing. Even if I don't come from this Jewish background, the extra rules on top of Jesus, are, are that's appealing to me for some reason. And it could be, and I don't, I don't know exactly where I'm getting this from, just somewhere in my background yeah. of study, um, those could be the worst ones. <laughs> <laughs> the worst ones are the ones that huh. have adopted it and then want to force everybody else to do it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's a pretty typical sociological phenomenon. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I agree. Um, I don't often read the text with the sociological questions in mind, so this is this is going to be interesting to try to do it. And I, we have to be careful because we don't know enough about 
all the cultural things that go on. There's so much we don't know, but we can look at the text and then try to go from there. Great. Yeah. So eventually at the end of Galatians, and, and this is where, so Paul dictates his letters uh, to a scribe, and then at the end he picks up the, hand, with the, the pen with his own hand and writes in his own handwriting. Uh, and in Galatians, he, he takes that moment to kind of summarize his, his point, his major point in the letter, and he even um, writes in large letters, so he's all caps. Right. <laughs> Paul is shouting this. Hey, you're shouting, Paul. Um, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. Mm. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. So he's, he's trying to emphasize this point. Circumcision, no circumcision, that doesn't matter. That's, that's gone away. That rule is, is over. Uh, and then he says, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. And that's one of the few places where we have the potential for the word Israel to apply to, could that apply to uncircumcised people? Um, it's debated by scholars exactly what he means, but to me, in this context, he's saying the family of God is now bigger than just circumcised people. And so this term Israel of God, I think, can apply to the church, which would include Gentiles as well, now the Gentiles are part of Israel. So we're all, how do we become just one big family? So we see this all through the New Testament, Book of Acts, uh, but also in Paul's letters. He's struggling to keep the church together. A church of Jewish people and Gentile people from different backgrounds, <coughs> different rules. How can, how can we be together in a church? How can we be unified? Yeah. You look like you're thinking something. No, no, I'm just okay. <laughs> keep going. I, yeah, I, I am. Good. Um, I, I'm, 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 two things. Um, is Paul's issue only the compelling of the extra things? I, I don't remember, it's been a minute since I've read Galatians, but I don't remember him going, they're doing it wrong just that he's saying you don't have to do it the way they've done it and them trying to make you do it their way is what's wrong. Is that what's going on? So, so Paul doesn't have a problem that they have been circumcised in addition to following Jesus. Just that they shouldn't be compelling you to do that. You mean the Jewish people being circumcised? Or you the, well, whoever, yeah. the, the, the Jewish people being circumcised trying to get the new converts, the new Gentile converts to be yeah. circumcised, find that they're circumcised, that's what they want to do. Is, is he saying, that's what they want to do, fine, they just can't be telling you to do this, or does he go so far to say, they were, they're doing things wrong in the first place, and then trying to compel you to do things that are wrong. So my is first it, thought is... Is Galatians written after the rulings of the Congress? Well, I... Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 I 
so that's, you know, that, that's significant if it was. Yeah, well, that's debated. Um, what do I think about that? I don't, I don't know. Uh, so the question was, is Galatians after the Jerusalem Council? If it is after the Jerusalem Council, which I have thought that at times, um, it's amazing he doesn't just mention that. Yeah. Hey, we solved this, so was, let's move on. So a lot of people think it was, it's more that um, he does mention visiting with some people in Jerusalem in Galatians. Right. That could apply to what's the famine relief visit in Acts. So it gets really complicated matching up all the visits in Acts with the, what he says in Galatians. Okay. I, I enjoy trying to figure that out. <laughs> not everybody might enjoy all that. Um, I, at the end of the day, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure. Okay. He takes a... Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, um, here, here. In Galatians, he takes a pretty strong position on certain situations. Very strong. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, I think that Paul would probably be saying this is the wrong question. So it's not, if they are Jewish and they've been circumcised, they can't undo that. Um, but for going forward, this isn't a, this isn't a thing that Christians should deal with. Yeah, um, I can add from the book of Acts that when Paul goes at near the end of Acts back to Jerusalem, the elders of the church in Jerusalem say, you know, people are thinking that you're, you're encouraging Jews not to keep the law. Would you mind going to, I don't, they don't say, would you mind, how about going to the temple to make a sacrifice and pay for these Jewish people in the temple to, to do it? And Paul agrees to that. Yeah. So I think Paul is fine for Jews to keep doing the same traditions. The, but where he's, he's saying it's a different gospel is if you're forcing Gentiles to do that. Anyway. Right, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, we cannot, there's no doubt that something has happened with Jesus that has changed the role of circumcision. And it changes the power of the Torah and the law for everybody, not just for Gentiles. Yeah. So, and that's the church has worked out throughout its history. But you know, how do, how do we deal with the Torah and the whole law? The fact that Jesus fulfills that changes how everybody relates to it, even if you still keep the rituals of your culture. Yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm being cynical here. <laughs> I know we can be open here, but. So this says it was 50 years, 50 CE, when they had this council. So I'm thinking Paul's trying to grow the church, right? So like, why would you tell adults, males, they had to be circumcised? Who's going to join that church? <laughs> Seriously, who's going to join the church if he said all of you adult males have to be circumcised? Right? So that was probably, that might have been part of it. You're thinking this is a marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's biblical. I mean, I think that Jesus talks. Doesn't Jesus talk about circumcision of your heart? Who was it that talked about? Yeah. Well, it's in the Old Testament, it's even in the Deuteronomy. But, but I mean, that could have been. I'm not saying I'm being cynical, but I, I'm not it's saying secondary. It's secondary. It would be like, okay, this is not something. First of all, would they even know how to do that in that in that part of? To an adult, I mean, yeah. who would? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just looking yes, at this direction. Like, why? Yeah, but that's yeah, it would. That, that it wouldn't make it easier. I, I feel like, I mean, I'll, I want to keep thinking about that, but um, <laughs> I do think it for Paul, it's, it's more. Oh, it's probably more than that. Yeah. Theological. Yeah. And this is when you open the can of worms of, of 
socio the sociological right. things that go on. Right. Oh, I think it was definitely that, but I mean, yeah. Okay, good. I have a question. Um, back on the first verse, you brought up in Galatians, talking about, um, I was so extremely zealous, but when he set me apart before we were called by his grace. Basically, so the sentence after that, I'm curious what you think is the oh. relevance of that. It says, um, basically, God was pleased to reveal the son to me, so that I could preach him. And then it says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem. I'm curious, because our go my go-to is to go to all the experts, right? And I'm curious what it, what you think is the, the relevance of, I didn't, I didn't go to these yeah. experts, I went away. It makes us think, and what we're doing here is, is called mirror reading. We're trying to figure out what Paul is, yeah. what Paul's opponents are saying that he's trying to respond to, mm. based on what he says. Mm -hmm. We don't, so it's not for sure. But yeah. it looks yeah. like people are saying Paul got his gospel from Jerusalem. There's people from Jerusalem that are coming to Galatia and saying, "Look, Paul didn't give you the whole story. We are giving you the update that Paul didn't get." Or you know, so so Paul is trying to say, no, I, this isn't from Jerusalem. I got this straight from the straight from Jesus. So he's trying to counteract people who are saying we need to go by the Jerusalem authorities, and he's saying, no, this is from. I didn't get it from Jerusalem. I got it from Jesus. I guess I've also taken that into my personal account of the importance of creating space to just listen to God and write yeah. and, and do the word and not just go to all the experts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When we were, um, we were in Israel with some Jewish Christians and that one of the guys said, you should be keeping the holidays to us. Um, yeah. um, he was implying that we weren't do, doing it right, mm -hmm. even now. <laughs> Um, he was trying to say you should celebrate the Sabbath, or not, not the Sabbath, but Passover. You should be celebrating all these holidays as well. Yeah. If you're really like Christians should be. Even now, I mean, I think there's pressure in some places. Yes. And I know he was a Jewish Christian. We still kept kosher and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, we've raised a. We kicked over a can of worms here. Uh, but, uh, and we're, we're, we're going to stay in Galatians next week. So, it. Uh, Bring your questions and thoughts about this back next week because this yeah. is really good. So, yeah. you want to make a final word before Let we? Let me give you something to think about because yeah. that way you can join it. We can have a conversation where I'm not so far ahead of you. Um, but maybe look at First Corinthians nine, and where Paul famously says, "I have become all things to all men, so that by all means I might win." Save some, he says. I wish he said all there, but he says some. Um, but it just struck me as I was reading this from the context of this class, to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. But he is a Jew. What does he mean I, I became like a Jew? And to those under the law I became like one of the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. So it's just interesting to me to think about Paul's, and we can't psychoanalyze Paul, but um, he's somehow able to say there's something more important than my background.
that can bring unity mm. to a group. There's something more important than my background. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good final word. Uh, so I look forward to this uh, uh, next week. Uh, come back, bring your questions uh, for George. Uh, <laughs> I was, you know what I was really thinking while you were standing up here is uh, I'm glad that you're a part of this when all the uh, theology yeah. classes started to come. So uh, thank you so much. We'll see you back here next week. <laughs>